turn to Ephesians 1. Uh, We are in this section of Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, where Paul is pouring his heart out in praise to God the Father for the blessings that he has blessed us with in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Uh, What we have here is doxology rooted in theology or worship rooted in truth. Truth matters. In uh, John chapter 8, Jesus said to those who were following Him, He said, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And earlier in John 4, Jesus said, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, um, the things we have been studying are what some might call hard truths, but they are true. The difficulty is within our own limitations. And so regardless of whether they go down with ease or with difficulty, we need to be further rooted in the truth that the truth would set us free. Look at Ephesians uh, 1.4. Even as He, that's God the Father, chose us in Him, that's Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So it says that God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Two weeks ago we looked at at the beginning of verse 4 at the fact of God's election of His people. God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And last week we looked at, um, in the second half of verse 4, we looked at the fulfillment of God's election of His people He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before Him. This is the consummation of God's choice, referring to the end of time when the bride uh, is fully and finally perfected in glory and everlastingly joined to our bridegroom, Jesus. The bride consists of all saved people throughout all history, And Ephesians 1.4 teaches us that before time began, God chose the bride and He chose us in order that we would stand holy and blameless before Him at the end of time. So in application of this, the, the one thing that I wanted us to see last week is that there is a certain security, uh, there is a certainty that we can have in the security of our salvation. The arrival of the saints in glory on that day, one day, someday, when we will be holy and blameless before God, is a certain fact. I will stand with the rest of the saints, holy and blameless before Christ at the end of time. And how can I be so sure? Because that is the end that God chose me for. I can say it with such confidence because it is rooted in our unchanging, unchangeable God's sovereign choice. 
God chose us in Christ before time began to the end that we would be rescued by Jesus, that we would be perfected by Jesus, and that we would then be presented to Jesus as the bride to the bridegroom at the end. Our eternal security is not based on any decision that we've made. It's based on a decision that God made. He chose us before the foundation of the world, and He will finish what He started. Now, we're staying with verse 4 again this week. Um, We're actually going to jump around a bit to a few other passages, but verse 4 is kind of our launch pad. When we talk about election or predestination, there are a lot of questions that come up. Um, I've already tried to answer some questions pertaining to the beginning of our salvation, like that was a couple weeks ago. What about free will? What about the decision we have to make to follow Christ? And so on. But there are other questions that come up as well. Questions um, not necessarily about how we become a Christian, but about living out the Christian life. If God chooses people, and God's chosen people are certain to end up in glory, well, what does that mean for the Christian life? All this talk about God's sovereignty and salvation, what about our responsibility? What about obedience? What about good works in the Christian life? What about perseverance, etc.? Indeed, we do have responsibility. Um, when I was a new Christian, my pastor in Knoxville said it this way, and I really liked it. He said, God is 100% sovereign, and we have 100% responsibility. It may not uh, compute well on our calculators, but that's just the way that the Bible teaches us. So, in relation to Ephesians 1 4, to get us going, I'll say this. <coughs> You have a vital role in becoming holy and blameless before Christ on the last day. It's ultimately all God's doing, and you play a vital role in becoming holy and blameless before Him. That's where we're heading. I'm going to take you back to the couple passages that we looked at last week, Ephesians 5 and Revelation 19. Turn to Ephesians 5 first. read 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here I simply want to make the point that this is all Jesus' work. Uh, Jesus died for the church. Jesus sanctifies us, purifying us by the washing of water with the Word. Jesus will present us to Himself at the end, holy and blameless. Uh, Blameless, as I said last week, it means without blemish. So the work of saving and sanctifying is fully Christ's work. The work of saving and sanctifying the bride is fully Christ's work, and you can see that here. Now turn to Revelation 19. We looked at this passage last week. Um, 
And my point was to show you that this holy and blameless standing before God mentioned in Ephesians 1.4 is referring to the end, to the consummation of our salvation. Uh, remember that the bride has all saved people throughout all history. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end when the bride is completely purified and the marriage of Christ and His bride is finally consummated. So, uh, Revelation 19, 6-9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds or works of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Now wait a minute. I just showed you in Ephesians 5 that the purification of the bride is Jesus' work. He's the one that saved us. He's the one that cleans us up. And He's the one that will present us to Himself holy and blameless on the last day. That's pretty clear in Ephesians 5. Yet here in Revelation 19, it says that the bride made herself ready. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride has clothed herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous works of the saints. Now, Chris... You just showed us a couple weeks ago in Romans 3 how no one is good, no one is righteous, no one does good, no one seeks for God, not even one. Remember that? I do remember that. But here, you're showing us that God's people have made themselves ready, made themselves holy and blameless before God on the last day. As my Uncle Randy would say, I got some susplaining to do. Uh... The key is in one word. Look back at Revelation 19 in verse 18. Granted. It was granted the bride to clothe herself with fine linen. Or you could say it was grace to the bride to make herself ready with good works. So here's the big picture. God chose us for salvation before the foundation of the world. Jesus secured our salvation 2,000 years ago. He accomplished all the good works that needed to be accomplished in order for us to be saved. The Holy Spirit applied salvation to us whenever it was that you were born again. For me, it was when I was 21. For some of you, you were so young you can't even remember it. For others, you can't necessarily point to a day in your life, but there was at least this period in your life where you know that God uh, initially transformed you and drew you to Christ. And this had nothing to do with your good works. You did not have any. No one is good. No one is righteous. No, not one. In our natural sinful state, no one is good. In our natural sinful sinful state, no one does good works. No one seeks for God. God is the seeker in salvation. The only reason that you chose God is because He first chose you and He made you alive by the power of His Spirit. God gave you a new heart. He gave you His Holy Spirit. And then you began to follow Him. This had nothing to do with your good works. 
You were the passive recipient of God's grace. But when God made you alive, when God gave you um, a new heart, He recreated you spiritually so that you now could do what you once could not do. He recreated us so that we could now follow Him. He recreated us in Christ so that we could now live the way that we were originally intended to live before sin entered the world. We were recreated for good works. Um, We're going to study this passage in more detail in a few months, but turn back to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And I want to show you this balance in the Scriptures. Verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace, not works. And we're saved for works. God prepared good works for us. We could not walk in them until we were saved by grace through faith. And now that we have been saved, now that we are new creations in Christ, we can do what we once could not do. We can now walk in, we can now live out the good works that God prepared uh, for us. Now look, I'm not saying that it was all grace in the beginning and now it's all works. The works were granted to us. The works are a part of God's grace at work in our lives. We were saved by grace through faith and we walk in good works by grace through faith. It was granted to the bride to make herself ready with good works. Jesus is the one that saved us. Jesus is the one that is ultimately purifying us. Jesus is the one that will present us to Himself on the last day, holy and without blemish. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our salvation. And He has made it to where our participation in the transformation matters. He has granted us good works to walk in. And when we live lives of obedience, when we live... Uh, in the good works that He remade us for, those works purify us. You have a vital role to play in becoming holy and blameless before Christ on the last day. I've shown you this passage before, but I'm going to show you again. 1 Peter 1.22, you can turn there. It's on the other side of Hebrews. After James... 1 Peter 1.22. The beginning of 1 Peter is about God's sovereignty and salvation. You notice in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God caused this thing to happen in our lives. He caused your first birth and He caused your spiritual birth so that you could then follow Him. So this first section, Peter's emphasizing the same thing Paul's emphasizing, the sovereignty of God and salvation. Then 
He goes on to say, um, starting in verse 13, there's a therefore, and he's talking about how we should then live in light of this new reality that we're new creations in Christ. He says in verse 15, Be holy, uh, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, that was the command of the law that we could not keep before God intervened, that Jesus kept for us, and that's why we're saved, is because Jesus kept it for us and died for us. But then the Holy Spirit comes to apply this salvation to us, recreates us, and we can now follow Him um, in holiness. So, that's the context of verse 22. And, and listen to what he says. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. Again, he says that by our obedience, there's a purification happening in our souls, which is right in line with what we're talking about. The bride prepares herself with good works. By your obedience to the truth, there's a purification <coughs> happening in your soul. And again, it's all according to God's grace. God is the one that chose us. Jesus is the one that died for us. According to His great mercy, God caused us to be born again by the Holy Spirit. We were recreated by God in Christ so that we could then believe Him and follow Him, walking in the good works that God prepared for us. God is sanctifying us by the power of the Spirit. And He has made it to where we play a vital role in the process. Such a vital role that 1 Peter 1.22 says, we purify ourselves by our obedience to the truth. Such a vital role that Revelation 19 says, we make ourselves ready to be holy and blameless on the last day. And we make ourselves ready with our good works. The Apostle John in Revelation, seeing a vision that Jesus gave to him of the end, says that at the end, the bride had made herself ready by purifying herself with righteous deeds. So, do our good works matter? Does your obedience to God's commands matter? Major. It matters very significantly. I have no problem saying to anyone, that if you don't walk in obedience to God's commands, you won't be purified and you won't be made ready. If you don't follow Christ, you won't be made holy and blameless on the last day. You have a 100% responsibility to work out your salvation. Turn to Philippians 2. Another familiar passage that I've shown you before. Starting in verse 12. I'll just read verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's the Apostle Paul, the same Paul that wrote Ephesians. We have to work out our salvation. And it's hard work. Obedience is not easy. I I often say, I mean, we have... We're essentially two selves. We have things inside of us pulling us away from obedience to God. We don't always feel like obeying God. Sometimes we feel like sinning. A lot of times we feel like sinning. We have Satan and his servants trying to lead us astray, and they're seeking to devour and kill us. Obedience is not easy. The whole world is not following God, but He's made it possible. 
And we must work out our salvation with fear of God, fear and trembling. It is possible to do that by God's grace. Look, look back at 2.12. I'll read 12 and 13 together. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Where does the will to follow God come from? From God. Here we see our responsibility in the context of God's sovereignty. God works the will to obey Him into us. God works the works that we're supposed to work into us. And we work them out. Whenever we think about our responsibility to work out our salvation, we need to understand it in the context of God's sovereignty. We do need to emphasize our responsibility to follow the Lord in His ways. In John 8, Jesus says, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And as we've seen, there's a very real sense in which we make ourselves ready for the last day. Our obedience to the truth has a purifying effect in our souls. For a lot of people who emphasize God's sovereignty and salvation, such as verses like Ephesians 1.4, they make light of the passages of our responsibility. We don't have that option. It's all God's Word, and not one verse is privileged over the other. That said, for a lot of people who emphasize our responsibility in living out salvation, they do so at the, at the expense of the very clear verses of God's sovereignty in salvation. We don't have that option either. We have to give every passage its, its full weight. The Bible is a perfect whole. We don't have to squeeze one passage into another uh, in order to emphasize some verses at the expense of other verses. We simply must affirm that God's Word is true and believe what He has revealed to us. Now, sometimes these things are hard to reconcile in our minds. But we are finite. We are infinitesimal. As the budding theologian Matt Irvin said a couple weeks ago, we are not divine. (laughs) The right posture for us before God is worship, prayer, praise, dependence, fear, awe, reverence, worship. He is God and we are not. And as far as our theology goes, as far as our uh, study of God as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word, There are certain tensions in the Word that are simply beyond us, like God's sovereignty and our responsibility. How does that fit together? Perfectly. It fits together with perfect wisdom. The tension must remain. So, um, last week I told you that all of God's people will most certainly end up holy and blameless before Christ in glory. And I can know that with such confidence because it is rooted in God's sovereign choice of me, not in the choices that I make. And this week I've told you that we have responsibility to work out our salvation. We make ourselves ready for the last day by our obedience to the truth. Well, which one is it? It's both. We need to focus on our responsibility to live out our salvation. Sometimes we need to focus on that more than others. 
And we need to do that against the backdrop of God's sovereignty and salvation. We need to work hard in obedience to the truth. Sometimes we just need to forget how we feel about it. What does God's Word say? Just do that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But know that you work as one who is secure. We work not to earn God's favor. We work not to earn salvation. We work because God has worked the will to work and the work into us. He works it in. We work it out. He works in the good works that He has prepared for us. They have been granted to us by God's grace and and we work them out. Do we have responsibility? Absolutely. But our responsibility is informed by God's sovereignty. Um, Makes me think of the issue of perseverance. Matthew 24, 12, and 13 is a familiar passage. It says, Lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You must endure. You must persevere. We must run the race with endurance. But remember who you are. Remember whose you are. God chose you before the foundation of the world that you would be holy and blameless before Him. Jesus died for you. He accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished in order for you to be saved. Jesus is sanctifying you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we will see in a few weeks down in Ephesians, who was given to you as the guarantee of your inheritance in glory. I know the sanctification process is slow. It's arduous. But you're in good hands. Jesus is the author and He is the perfecter of our faith. He will finish what He started. God's sovereignty, our responsibility, the tension must remain. Let's think... um, more broadly for a minute about God's sovereignty and our responsibility in some other areas of our life. For instance, prayer. There's a book title, If God Already Knows, Why Pray? If God is sovereign over everything and He's controlling the end of the world, why do our prayers matter? Because God in His sovereignty has sovereignly ordained that the prayers of His people are the primary way that He affects His will in the world. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think He was just wasting His breath? Or do you think He was just trying to make us feel you know, a little bit important? No. The perfect plan of God includes the imperfect prayers of His people. The perfect plan of God includes the imperfect working out of the good works that God has prepared for us. It's not the execution of the works that makes them good. It's the fact that they were prepared by God and that they're a part of His perfect plan. Think about evangelism. People want to say, well... If God chooses, then why evangelize? If God is sovereign and if God is, is going to get His people and, and He chose them, um, then why do we matter? Because God has sovereignly ordained 
that His people telling other people about Jesus is the primary means that new people come into the kingdom. So you could honestly say, if God's people aren't telling, no one else is getting saved. That's just the way that it happens. He's made that the way. Yes, God chooses His people. But we don't see who they are. The chosen people don't have a stripe on their head. You know, if so, maybe we would just go talk to them, I guess. But we're here to proclaim the gospel to the whole world, to every person. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of Christ. And how are they going to hear unless somebody goes and tells them? We have to affirm both. God is sovereign, and we are responsible. Let's pray. Father, the wisdom is above and beyond us. Your wisdom is perfect. And uh, Lord, we want to affirm what is true. And we want to rest secure in your sovereign grip. And we want to embrace the responsibilities that you've given us. Make us those people, Lord. Help us to be balanced in the Scriptures. Help us to affirm and believe everything that your Bible teaches us, whether we can reconcile it in our minds or not. Give us faith, Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief. Guide and lead us in your ways, I do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.